Shalom, brothers and sisters. I'm Brother Sid of the Commandment Keepers Church. We have a detailed lesson prepared for our brothers and sisters internationally. The title of today's lesson will be What Lies Beneath? What Lies Beneath? Brothers and sisters, many things can creep into our hearts as hidden idols. Our goal today is to diagnose the idolatrous heart. An idol, brothers and sisters, is anything you prioritize or look to for fulfillment outside of God. Now, guess what? The only way to free ourselves from the destructive influence of counterfeit gods is to turn back to the true God, brothers and sisters. What we'll learn today is modern day idolatry is alive and well. Brothers and sisters, it is alive and well. Let's go to Ezekiel, brothers and sisters. I'm going to start in Ezekiel, the 14th chapter. We're going to read the second through the fourth verse. Follow us here. We're at Ezekiel, the 14th chapter, and the second through the fourth verse. Ezekiel 14 and 2 reads, And the word of the Lord came upon me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts and put the stumbling blocks of their iniquity before their face. Should I be inquired of of them at all? Verse 4 reads, Therefore speak unto them and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Every man, of the house of Israel, that setteth up idols in his heart, that setteth up idols in his heart, and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and cometh to the prophet, I the Lord will answer him, that cometh according to the multitude of his idols. Brothers and sisters, the issue before Ezekiel is idolatry. Okay. Now there's something vital in these particular passages. What's clear is that the Bible understands that idolatry extends beyond the worship of images. Brothers and sisters, it's a matter of the heart. I need you to listen to this again. We're at Ezekiel 14 and 2. And it reads, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts. These men have set up their idols in their heart. Brothers and sisters, first we need to recognize the reality of idols are in the heart. See that? The true idols. Modern day idolatry is of the heart, brothers and sisters. It's not the the gold statues of the past. Okay? I'm going to read verse 3 one more time because examine the serious consequences when we have idols in our hearts, brothers and sisters. I'm at Ezekiel, the 14th chapter in the third verse, and it reads, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their heart and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. Should I be inquired of them at all? Brothers and sisters, 
The question is, what right do they have to seek the Most High when they harbor idols in their hearts? This is why the Most High is saying, should I be inquired of at all by them? Okay? <laughs> so, they, like many of us, foolishly believe that we can worship idols and receive the favor of God. It was clear here that our people, all the men of Israel, had set up idols in their hearts. See, it wasn't the idols you could see. It was something that was iniquity. That's why he said the stumbling block of their iniquity. Brothers and sisters, iniquity is what? Iniquity is invisible sin. That's why he's telling you that the stumbling block is actually iniquity. That means it's invisible. <laughs> Let me read that again, brothers and sisters. <clears throat> Ezekiel 14 and 2 reads, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their heart and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. Should I be inquired of at all by them? You see that, brothers and sisters? These men had set up idols in their heart, right? And then it tells you it was a stumbling block of their iniquity. See? This was iniquity, brothers and sisters. Iniquity is always invisible sin. Always, brothers and sisters. What we're showing you is that what? The Bible tells you modern day idolatry is alive and well. However, it's hard to detect. Why? Because according to the text, it's in the heart. Sins of the heart easily, brothers and sisters, they go easily undetected because they're invisible, because they're in the heart. Now, the question is, brothers and sisters, how many of us struggle with idolatry? Let's be real. How many of us struggle with idolatry, brothers and sisters? Let's go to 1 Corinthians 10 and 12, because this is for those who say they don't struggle with idolatry. 1 Corinthians 10 and 12 reads, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he stand, take heed, lest he fall. Let me read that again. 1 Corinthians 10 and 12 reads, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth, take heed, lest he fall. So, brothers and sisters, it's clear that this particular passage is a warning against overconfidence. It's a, a constant call for, for self-examination, brothers and sisters. So, according to Paul, he's telling us, don't think that you're a finished product. Okay, we must not glory in our progress. Let's read that one more time, brothers and sisters. And we're at 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, the 12th verse, and it reads, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he stand, take heed, lest he fall. So, brothers and sisters, all... Even the most eminent are liable to fall. See? According to the text, the more self-confident we are, the more likely we are to fall, brothers and sisters. So, what secret idols are there in our hearts that are hindering our walk with God? Because why? I've never heard a brother or sister say, well, you know what, brother said, yes, I struggle with idolatry. <laughs> okay. 
nobody, that's not something a person would admit to, brothers and sisters. That's why we, we had to go into this lesson today. We had to utilize the Bible to, to actually reveal what the hidden idols of the heart look like, brothers and sisters. Let us read that again, because this particular lesson is for those who said they don't struggle with this. How do we know? First Corinthians 10 and 12 reads, Wherefore, let him that think he stand, take heed, lest he fall. So, brothers and sisters, Paul tells us the more self-confident we are, the more likely or more liable we are to fall. Brothers and sisters, follow us to Psalms, the 26th chapter and the second verse. We're at Psalms, the 26th chapter and the second verse, and it reads, Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart. Brothers and sisters, closely examine David's petition. He knew the hidden man of the heart had the most significance. You see that, brothers and sisters? One of the most vital results of an examination is the increase in self-awareness. It, it, I need you to, to closely examine the psalmist here, okay? Psalms 26 and 2 reads, Examine me, O Lord, improve me, try my reins and my heart. Brothers and sisters, we are prone to be partial to ourselves, to make allowances where we should not. So the psalmist says, examine me, O Lord, prove me. So in this particular verse, David calls for the Most High to examine his morals, his, his integrity, his, his ethics. Brothers and sisters, why? Because we need the Most High to identify our idols. Because why? We have become grown, you know, we've grown conditioned with them or to them. We've become blind to them, brothers and sisters. We've become blind to them. Do you see that? So even David understood this. He said, examine me, O Lord, prove me, try the reins of my heart. Why? Because there's only so much that I can see of myself. See that, brothers and sisters? Without the Most High revealing it to you, See that? <laughs> See that, brothers and sisters? Because why? The Bible tells you our vision of ourselves is unclear. Okay? Clarity concerning ourselves is not there. Okay, brothers and sisters? So the psalmist understood it clear. This examination would have to come from the outside. Okay? This would have to be an outside arbitrator here. Examine me, O oh Lord, improve me. You see, brothers and sisters? See? So you would need an outside arbitrator in this particular case. That's what we'll do today. Let's go to Proverbs, the 16th chapter, the second verse. Why? The question is, why would we need an outside arbitrator in this particular, te uh, in this particular case, brothers and sisters, of self-examination as it pertains to idolatry? Let us show you why. Right here, we're here at Proverbs, the 16th chapter, the second verse, and it reads, All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirit. 
Brothers and sisters, Solomon makes a stark contrast between what men see and what God sees. Let's listen to this again. Proverbs 16 and 2 reads, All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. So brothers and sisters, it's clear that we see everything through our own perspective and thus everything we do seems justified. And this is what the Most High was breaking down here. Blind spots, brothers and sisters. Blind spots are areas you won't allow your faith to touch. Blind spots are areas we allow ourselves not to change. Where are your blind spots, brothers and sisters? <laughs> See, where are your blind spots? Okay, where are those areas where you will not allow God, where you're telling God to stay out of it? What areas are those? Because those areas are considered blind spots. Those are the areas in which Satan would look to come in. Let's stand the Old Testament here, brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, follow us to Psalms, the 19th chapter and the 12th verse. Psalms 19 and 12 reads, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Verse 13 reads, Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Now, brothers and sisters, I really need you to first examine the 12th verse. Let us read that again. Psalms 19 and 12 reads, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. So, brothers and sisters, it's clear that the word used here for errors describes a sin that is committed in ignorance. How do we know? Because it says, cleanse thou me from secret faults in conjunction with the understanding of his errors. So according to the text, brothers and sisters, let's take a look at it again. Because the text tells us that the fact that a sin occurred unintentionally doesn't make it acceptable. How, does, how do we know? Because he's asking them to be cleansed from the secret fault. He didn't say because it's secret or because it's unknown or unbeknownst to me, therefore I don't need cleansing. Let's take a look at that one more time, brothers and sisters. Psalms 19 and 12 reads, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Verse 13 reads, Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. So, brothers and sisters, the psalmist prayed that he would be that he would be forgiven for hidden faults and preserved from sinning willfully. What do we talk? What do we mean by sinning willfully? Listen to verse thirteen again, brothers and sisters. Psalms nineteen and thirteen reads: "Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins." Brothers and sisters, presumptuous sin is willful sin. So David understood that he had disobeyed God's word even more than he was aware of. So not only did he have presumptuous sins, but he had secret faults. Listen to 13 again, brothers and sisters. Psalms 19 and 13 reads, Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, 
and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. So David added this because he knew that our problem was greater than secret faults and unknown errors, brothers and sisters. So he had to make it clear. He had to put the part in there about the presumptuous sins. Why? Because left, left, left to itself, verse 12 would be manipulated, brothers and sisters. <laughs> okay. So he's letting you know, yes, you have secret faults. You have sin that you're unbeknownst to at this time. And then you have what? Presumptuous sin. So what is he showing you? There's sin in this particular passage. These particular texts, brothers and sisters, are broken up in two categories. You have conscience sin and you have unconscious sin. Okay? So in verse 12, he's referring to what? Unconscious sin. That sin that you do, that you practice, that you're unconscious of. Verse 13 refers to what? Practicing of conscience sin. Okay? Hope you understand that, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Psalms 139 and 23. We're at Psalms 139 and 23, and it reads, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. And know my thoughts. Verse 24 reads, And see if there be any wicked way in me. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way of understanding. So brothers and sisters, in this particular prayer, David invites the Most High to examine his motives. He, he petitions the Most High to reveal his sins to him. Listen to this again, brothers and sisters. Psalms chapter 139 and 23 reads, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Verse 24 reads, And see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So, brothers and sisters, notice the emphasis here is on what is within. Okay? Listen to this again. Psalms 139 and 23 reads, Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts. Verse 24 reads, And see if there be any wicked way in me. And see if there be any wicked way in me. So, brothers and sisters, according to what we're reading here, David knows one of the attributes of sin is to hide man from himself, to conceal his deformity. You see that? This is why he's asking the Most High. He's beseeching the Most High to search me, to try me, to test my thoughts, see if there be any wicked way in me. Why? Because sin will always look to conceal the deformity from the man himself. Brothers and sisters, Follow us to 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter, the 23rd verse. Alright, we're at 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter, the 23rd verse, and it reads, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. He hath also rejected thee from being king. Brothers and sisters, I need you to really examine the first words of this passage. 
First Samuel 15 and 23 reads, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Brothers and sisters, rebellion is usually outward and visible, while stubbornness is inward and subtle. So once again, stubbornness is connected with iniquity. Why? Because you cannot see it. You see? I'm going to read that again. 1 Samuel 15 and 23. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Brothers and sisters, it's vital that we recognize that if rebellion is fruit, then stubbornness is the root. Do you see? So stubbornness is the attitude. Rebellion is the action. So really examine this text, brothers and sisters, because the Most High links our wills with our worship. We're fooling ourselves if we think we're worshiping the Most High without yielding, brothers and sisters. As long as we're persistent in being stubborn, the Most High says that we're harboring idolatry in our hearts. So we first had to give you what the proper understanding of what idolatry is according to God. Because they taught us that idolatry was just, you know, falling on your knees to golden statues. But the Bible is telling you something else. Pride, the stubbornness of the heart is considered idolatry. Okay? Not only is it considered iniquity, but it's considered idolatry. Iniquity meaning it's an invisible sin, right? But it's also considered idolatry. So we first have to get the proper perspective on what this is. Why? Because this is a principle we learn from Christ. When we look at Matthew 5, when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, Christ called lust adultery. Christ called anger murder. The same principle here in Samuel, brothers and sisters, where stubbornness is being called idolatry and rebellion is being called witchcraft. See, this is a principle in overcoming sin. You're supposed to address sin by the most degrading term possible. You see, brothers and sisters? So that's a principle inside of itself. Okay? That's a principle inside of itself. Let's go to the apographer. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus, the third chapter, the 26th and the 27th verse. Ecclesiasticus 3 and 26 reads, A stubborn heart shall fare evil at the last, and he that loveth danger shall perish therein. Verse 27 reads, An obstinate heart shall be laden, with sorrows, an obstinate heart shall be laden with sorrows, and the wicked man shall heap sin upon sin. Brothers and sisters, according to what we're reading here, allowing our feelings to interpret our course of action will have calamitous consequences. Okay, listen to this again. Verse 26 reads, a stubborn heart shall fare evil at the last. Okay, and he that loveth danger shall perish therein. Listen to verse 27. 
Verse 27 reads, An obstinate heart shall be laden with sorrows. A wicked man shall heap sin upon sin. So, brothers and sisters, the text emphasizes the repercussions for our unwillingness to submit, which is what? Verse 27 reads, An obstinate heart shall be laden with sorrows. So the author teaches us that non-compliance has a hefty price. It's our happiness, brothers and sisters. See that? An obstinate heart shall be laden with sorrows. Brothers and sisters, look at the most stubborn people. They're not happy, are they? Of course not. The Bible's telling the truth. See? A lot of people don't even, con they don't even connect their obstinacy, their stubbornness, their unwillingness to submit with their unhappiness. Look at the last part, though. Verse 27 reads, An obstinate heart shall be laden with sorrows, and the wicked man shall heap sin upon sin. Sin upon sin, brothers and sisters. Every repetition of the sin lessens our power of resistance. You see that? So, the sad result of such mullish obstinance is made clear here, brothers and sisters. Listen to verse 26. An obstinate heart shall fare evil at the last, and he that loveth danger shall perish therein. Verse 27 reads, An obstinate heart shall be laden with sorrows, and the wicked man shall heap sin upon sin. So, brothers and sisters, stubbornness will always be rewarded with bitterness. That's what verse 27 says. An obstinate heart shall be laden with sorrows. It'll never be happy. See that? That's the Bible, brothers and sisters. We didn't make that up. Okay? Follow us to Proverbs, the 19th chapter, the third verse. Brothers and sisters, the title of today's lesson, What Lies Beneath. Brothers and sisters, in this materialistic, hyper-materialistic world that we live in, idolatry is at its height, brothers and sisters. Lust, it's at its height. And idolatry isn't ju doesn't just come in the form of a golden calf, brothers and sisters. We desire to utilize the Bible to prove that point today because idolatry is at an all-time height today, brothers and sisters. Much more, much more than it was even during the time of Moses. We're going to prove that today. We're at, excuse me, we're at Proverbs, the 19th chapter, the third verse, and it reads, The foolish of man perverteth his way, and his heart fretteth against the Lord. Hmm. I'm going to read that again. Proverbs 19 and 3 reads, The foolish of man perverteth his way, and his heart fretteth against the Lord. Brothers and sisters, this is the victim mentality that Solomon describes here. Listen to what it says. The foolishness of man perverteth his way, and his heart fretteth against the Lord. So according to the text, brothers and sisters, those who refuse to submit to the Most High, suddenly, when life goes wrong, they blame God. It says they fretteth against God. But it was the foolishness. It was his foolishness that perverted his way. So the Bible is clear. 
People ruin their own lives through foolish behavior and then they blame God for their woes. See? So brothers and sisters, behind all anger is pain. And you have allowed that pain to produce an anger that will destroy you. Many men who brought ruin upon themselves end up being angry and bitter against God because of it, brothers and sisters. The Bible tells you it's the foolishness of man that destroyeth his own path, yet he'll get angry with God. See this? Oh, it's coming out today, brothers and sisters. Okay? Inspection of the heart today. Iniquity inspection today, brothers and sisters. Let's deal with this. Let's go to Ezekiel, the 33rd chapter, the 17th and the 18th verse, brothers and sisters. We're at Ezekiel, the 33rd chapter, the 17th and the 18th verses. Ezekiel 33 and 17 reads, Yet the children of thy people say, The way of the Lord is not equal. But as for them, their way is not equal. Verse 18 reads, When the righteous turneth away, turneth from his righteousness, and committeth iniquity, he shall even die thereby. Brothers and sisters, this was another accusation against the Most High. Listen to this again, verse 17. Ezekiel 33 and 17 reads, Yet the children of thy people say, The way of the Lord is not equal. The way of the Lord is not equal. The way of the Lord is not equal. Brothers and sisters, our people blamed God for our calamities when actually we were being judged for our sins. So we said, listen, it's not fair. God's way is not equal. Listen to it again, brothers and sisters. Ezekiel 33 and 17 reads, Yet the children of thy people say, The way of the Lord is not equal. But as for them, their way is not equal. When the righteous turneth from his righteousness and committeth iniquity, he shall even die thereby. So, brothers and sisters, here we're suggesting that the Most High was unjust. He he was uh, he was discriminatory in his proceedings, right? See, when we're telling us that when we're telling the Most High, or really Ezekiel is is telling us that our claim was the Most High was not fair, the way of the Most High was not equal. So our people believe there shouldn't be contingencies in our relationship with the Most High. That the Most High should just overlook our sinful behavior. And it doesn't work that way, brothers and sisters. Here it was that our people were making the the petition, right? That the Most High's way was unfair. It was not equal. Brothers and sisters, follow us to Ezekiel, the 18th chapter, and the 29th and the 30th verse. Ezekiel 18 and 29 reads, Yet saith the house of Israel, The way of the Lord is not equal. O house of Israel, are not my ways equal? Are not your ways unequal? 
verse 30 reads, Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, saith the Lord God. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Brothers and sisters, what they're saying is that we are being punished for the sins of our forefathers. Listen to this again, verse 29. And it reads, Yet saith the house of Israel, The way of the Lord is not equal. The house of the, is, O house of Israel, are not my ways equal? Are not your ways unequal? So, brothers and sisters, the text highlights how unwilling we are to accept the blame for the things that we have done. Here it is in verse 29. Our people are calling out the Most High as unequal because we're being punished for our transgressions. Listen to verse 30, brothers and sisters. Ezekiel 18 and 30 reads, Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways. Saith the Lord God, repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so your iniquity shall not be your ruin. Brothers and sisters, like it or not, you are responsible for what you are and what you have done. Okay? We, where we are in life is based on the decisions that we have made. It's crystal clear, brothers and sisters. Those with continual victim mentality tend to create the situations from which they suffer. Okay? So here it was. Our people were saying, God is unfair. God is unfair. The Bible is clear. He tells you to do what? Let me read verse 30 again. Ezekiel 18 and 30 reads, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, saith the Lord God. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Showing you what, brothers and sisters, there it goes, that iniquity again, iniquity has the power or the potential to be your ruin. See that? Remember, Christ said, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. So the sin that he pointed to was the one that couldn't be seen. Iniquity talks about sins of the heart. Idolatry, lust, hatred. See, these are all sins that can't be seen. Anger that can't be seen. See that? Murder, still. These are all physical acts, brothers and sisters. Iniquity are the ones of the heart. The hidden ones, okay? We're at Genesis chapter 4, verse 5, and it reads, But unto Cain and to his offering he had no respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord saith unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? Verse 7 reads, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, Sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. So, brothers and sisters, when you examine verse 6, note that the Most High came to Cain and disgusted with him. Listen to this. Verse 6 reads, And the Lord saith unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? Why is thy countenance fallen? 
Brothers and sisters, has God ever come, come to you and asked you, why are you angry? Brothers and sisters, notice this. The Most High always confronts after the sin of his father, Adam. He came to confront Adam. Adam, where are you? After Cain's sin, he comes to confront him, right? I need you to examine this because this is a common human problem. We mess up, but then we blame the Most High for the consequences of our sins. Listen to Cain. Genesis 4 and 5 reads, But unto Cain and his offering he had no respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord saith unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? Verse 7 reads, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. So, brothers and sisters, the Most High highlights two alternatives that lay before Cain, a, a fork in the road, so to speak. And listen to this, because this description of sin is striking. Listen to verse 7. If thou doest well, shall thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. So, brothers and sisters, the text characterizes sin as a predatory animal waiting to pounce. It says that sin lieth at the door. So, here it was, brothers and sisters, the Most High perceived in him a strong predilection to sin. This is why he's bringing this up. He's asking Cain, why are you wroth? So, it's clear, brothers and sisters, by what we read here, if we insist on setting our own standards for what is acceptable, judgment lieth at the door. Cain's offering was not accepted, and because of that, he was angry with God. He didn't do what was enough to be accepted. He didn't do what was acceptable, yet he is angry. This is what happens many times, brothers and sisters. This is what happens many, many times. Followers, brothers and sisters, to Job, the first chapter, the first through the fifth verse. Job 1 and 1 reads, There was a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed or hated evil. Now, brothers and sisters, there's a lot just here in this first text. Job, when you look at uh, where he's from, a land of Uz, when you link that with Lamentations 4 and 21, it tells you that the land of Uz was an Edomite land. Okay, Job lived in an Edomite land. Job was an Edomite, brothers and sisters. Not only was he an Edomite, he was a king of the Edomites. When you go into Genesis 36, uh, it's the lineage of Esau. Um, and when you get down to the dukes, you'll see Jobab. Job's name is Jobab in the Bible. It'll make sense because it tells you about all of his substance, brothers and sisters. So just to give you a little background on this particular man, okay? We're at Job 1 and 1, and it reads, There was a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was seven thousand sheep and three thousand camels, 
400 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. See? So, brothers and sisters, we told you, according to Genesis 36 and other records, historical records, geographical records, Job was a king. That's why it tells you, so that this man was the greatest of all the men on the East. Okay, listen to verse 4, brothers and sisters. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, and every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. Verse 5 reads, And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that, thy, that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And cursed God in their hearts. And cursed God in their hearts. Brothers and sisters, according to the text we see, Job was aware that it was a possibility to usually, when a person cursed God, it's because of something within their heart. So what did we see? We saw in Genesis 4 that Cain was angry with God for being wrong. <laughs> and you'll see this many times in the Bible, brothers and sisters. We also, in Ezekiel 18, remember, our people were saying, listen, God's way is unfair. The way of the Lord is not equal. It's God's fault. See? It's the same thing that Adam did in the garden. When the Most High said, Adam, what have you done? He said, well, the woman you gave me, Father. <laughs> the, woman, the woman you gave See that, brothers and sisters? So, here it was. We're showing you something here. We're showing you that how a lack of acceptance or what you believe is acceptance. Right? Why? Because acceptance has to be measured according to God. It has to be measured according to the Bible, not measured according to what, you know, what you want to give God. Okay? And that was the difference between Cain and Abel. Abel gave the firstling of his flocks. That means he gave the best. Okay, his brother Cain gave whatever he found. He just, you know, found something somewhere in the woods somewhere and gave it to the Most High. Read it again. Read the account again, brothers and sisters. We just went here to show you that what? Job, being a righteous man, he did what? Listen to verse 5 again. Job 1 and 5 reads, And it was so. When the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according, the, according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that the, my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. So look at this, brothers and sisters. How righteous Job was. Here it was, brothers and sisters. He sacrificed. He prayed for his grown children. He offered sacrifices and offerings. Why, brothers and sisters? Understanding that he did not want his children to sin. That if they sinned, he wanted them to be covered unless God's wrath come down on them. Now, this is critical, this particular principle here, because it's a principle that I follow, brothers and sisters, is that I pray for my children. 
that my children, if my children are swearing from God, I pray that they get into a car accident and both of their legs are broken and they're subdued and bedridden for over a year. That's what I pray. If, if, you know, if that's what's needed to keep my children on the straight and narrow path, right, away from Satan, if that's what it takes to keep my children committed to God, that's how I pray. Okay, that's how I pray. That's how Job prayed. Okay, brothers and sisters, if that's what it takes to keep my my sons committed to God, then so be it. See? Take a look at this, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Psalms 86 and 11. Okay? Because we're dealing with the heart here. Right? The, the hidden idols of the heart. We're at Psalms 86 and 11, and it reads, Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Brothers and sisters, if you listen to this again, the psalmist confesses himself ignorant until God has taught him. Listen to this, brothers and sisters. Psalms 86 and 11 reads, Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. So according to the text, brothers and sisters, we must be taught how to properly reverence and honor the Most High. How do we know? Because the text tells us, teach me thy way and I will walk in thy truth. So we must be taught in order to be able to walk in the truth. So we have a natural deficiency of godly fear. How do we know? Because he tells us, or the psalmist questions rather, he's inquisitive. He asks the Most High to unite his heart to the fear of thy name, which means what? Naturally, it's not united. You see that, brothers and sisters? Follow us to Hebrews, the fifth chapter, the seventh verse. Because why? We're dealing with idolatry. And for those of us who live in Babylon, live in America, brothers and sisters. This is, the Bible tells you that Babylon have become the home of every foul bird, every demonic spirit, brothers and sisters. The spirit of Babylon is a spirit of idolatry. It's a spirit of materialism, brothers and sisters. Follow us to Hebrews 5 and 7, brothers and sisters. Hebrews, the fifth chapter, the seventh verse, and it reads, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard and that he feared. Verse eight reads, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Brothers and sisters, listen to verse 7 again, because Christ's prayers were always heard because of his reverence for the Most High and his willingness to submit, okay? I need you to listen to this again, because the real test of our obedience is when it involves denying our will. Listen to verse 7 again, because verse 7 tells us why Christ's prayers were always heard. Hebrews 5 and 7 reads, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong 
crying, and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he was feared and was heard in that he feared and was heard in that he feared. So the Bible tells you that he was heard because that he feared, brothers and sisters. You see that? And then look at the next text, though. Verse 8 reads, Though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Now, brothers and sisters, the real test of our obedience is when it involves denying our will. Okay? Many obey in all the areas where there's no suffering. So, according to the author, Christ learned obedience by doing what? By suffering. This suffering means denying himself, brothers and sisters. Okay? So, if somebody says, if your parents tell you, you don't have to eat your vegetables this whole week, are you suffering? No. Even though you're obeying what they said, you're not suffering because it's really not something you wanted to do anyway. You see? So he's telling you that Christ learned obedience through suffering. So obedience can only be learned in the things in which we suffer. So that means that he suffered the pain of denying his own will, brothers and sisters. So that means when you feel strongly about something and God says no, and you acquiesce, you capitulate to that, that's when you learn obedience. Why? Because it was something you felt very strongly on Yet, once God denied, you relinquished. See? So, according to the text, you only learn obedience when it costs you suffering, brothers and sisters. See? Why don't you touch the stove? Oh, because it, it hurts. You learned obedience. You learned through suffering. See? So it's clear, brothers and sisters, the Most High will promote you based on your tolerance of pain. Why? Verse 8 reads, Though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. So obedience must be learned through suffering, through self-denial, brothers and sisters. So any area in which you consistently deny yourself, you have now learned obedience. Brothers and sisters, follow us to 1 John 5 and 21. 1 John 5 and 21 reads, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Brothers and sisters, examine John's final challenge to the family of God. I'm going to read that again. 1 John 5 and 21. The word keep, brothers and sisters, expresses urgency and decisiveness. Listen to this. 1 John 5 and 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. See that? So this word keep, that expresses urgency and decisiveness, brothers and sisters. So the command to keep us from idols is a command to protect ourselves against spiritual corruption. See, little children, keep yourselves from idols. See that? So it was crystal clear that this was a major piece. Okay, this was a major piece of what? The proper walk with God. 
brothers and sisters, follow us to Colossians, the third chapter, the fifth verse. Colossians 3 and 5 reads, Mortify, therefore, your remembrance. Excuse me. Colossians 3 and 5 reads, Mortify, therefore, your members, which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Brothers and sisters, closely examine the text again, because in this particular passage, Paul associates covetousness with idolatry. Listen to this again, brothers and sisters. Colossians 3 and 5 reads, Mortify therefore your members, which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Brothers and sisters, Paul considered envy a form of idol worship. So what are we doing here, brothers and sisters? We had to redefine idolatry. The Bible tells you that stubbornness is idolatry. The Bible tells you covetousness is idolatry, brothers and sisters. So what we're seeing, we're seeing that covetousness is idolatry. Why? Because it puts self-interest in things in the place of God. So Paul identifies covetousness as idolatry because it puts self-interest in the place of the Most High. So it's clear, brothers and sisters, the question is, are these two explicitly tied together elsewhere? Is covetousness and idolatry tied together elsewhere? Why, brothers and sisters? Because we needed to use the Bible to show you that we've been mistaught, okay? The truth has been misrepresented by our teachers, okay, by our pastors, by our shepherds concerning what idolatry actually is. Brothers and sisters, what we find out today is many of us are dealing with this form of idolatry unbeknownst to them. Okay, let us show you that those two, those two are tied together. The covetousness and idolatry are tied together all throughout the manuscript. Let's go to Ephesians, brothers and sisters. Ephesians, the fifth chapter in the fifth verse, okay? Ephesians 5 and 5 reads, For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, nor covetous man who is an idolater, nor covetous man who is an idolater, have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So, brothers and sisters, to show you that which ye covet is an idol. Listen to it again. Verse 5 reads, For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, nor covetous man, who is an idolater. See? So the seriousness of this sin cannot be overstated. The Bible tells you a covetous man is an idolater. So examine the exclusion from the inheritance of God's kingdom, brothers and sisters. This particular attitude is identified with idolatry. Why? Because it replaces God with self-interest. See? 
So that means there's something that you want so bad that you would be willing to break God's law for. That's considered an idol. See? So the essential nature of this idolatry is selfishness. The worship of the self, brothers and sisters. See? A person's desire becomes the object of his affections and devotion. So envy isn't always easy to identify because its greatest tool is distraction, brothers and sisters. Envy always turns our attention outward instead of inward. So envy shouts, the problem is that you don't have that. You don't have this. If you only had a spouse or a little more money or a job title or if you had this, you would be happy. See, rather than address what's going on in our heart, envy distracts brothers and sisters. Rather than examine why we aren't content, envy lunges after an idol, brothers and sisters. You see that? This is what we're learning, brothers and sisters. Follow us to Ecclesiasticus, or also known as Sirach, 14 and 9 in the Apocrypha. Ecclesiasticus, the 14th chapter in the 9th verse. Let's take a look at this text. The ninth verse in the 14th chapter of Sirach reads, A covetous man's eye is not satisfied with his portion, and the iniquity of the wicked drieth up his soul. Brothers and sisters, here the author relates envy with iniquity, which is invisible sin. He also associates covetousness with a lack of contentment. Let's read that again, brothers and sisters. Sirach 14 and 9 reads, A covetous man's eye is not satisfied with his portion, and the iniquity of the wicked drieth up his soul. So brothers and sisters, we have the amazing ability to, to stand in front of a closet full of clothes and say that we don't have anything to wear. We do have the capacity to stand in front of a refrigerator filled with food and say there's nothing to eat. You see that, brothers and sisters, the sin of forgetfulness is one of the roots of envy. It tells you a covetous man, his eye is not satisfied with his portion. So what he has is not good enough. And because what he has is not good enough, he's looking at other places. See, when what you have is good enough, you don't have a wandering eye. Your eye is wandering. Because you believe your plate is not full. See that? The title of today's lesson. What lies beneath. The topic. Idolatry. Brothers and sisters. Modern day idolatry. Let's go to Luke 12 and 15. Brothers and sisters. Luke the 12th chapter. The 15th verse. And it reads. And he saith unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. See that? For a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Brothers and sisters, according to the author, envy is linked to the possession or lack thereof. See, it's the possession. Listen to this again. Verse 15 reads, And he saith unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, 
For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. So envy, envy is an emotion that happens when a person feels they're lacking in some area, brothers and sisters. Okay? So covetousness reveals the reality of an invisible war raging for the rulership of your heart. It says beware of covetousness. That means be aware of it, brothers and sisters. Take heed, he says. Why? Because envy thrives off comparison. Comparing your situation with someone else's. This is why he's saying be aware of covetousness. Because anytime we start talking about what we don't have, understand that we're in grave danger. You're in grave danger. So, brothers and sisters, covetousness reveals that there's still a war of treasury raging in our hearts. Who or what you covet tells what you treasure, brothers and sisters. That which you envy is a reflection of your lust. Why? Because you only envy the focus of your lust, brothers and sisters. See? So craving what the Most High has not chosen to give you highlights the fact that your heart is still out of step with the Most High God. Why? Because you're craving something the Most High have not chosen to give you at this time. Which implies, or not only implies, but it reveals, it highlights what? It highlights or reveals that you're on the wrong path. See that? Since we're talking about covetousness, let's go to Romans 1 and 21. Because the first step to backsliding, brothers and sisters, is contained in these texts. We're at Romans, the first chapter, the 21st through the 25th verse. Romans 1 and 21 reads, Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. And their foolish heart was darkened. Brothers and sisters, in this chapter, Paul teaches us that there's a downward progression towards evil. Okay? The first step downward is when you stop giving thanks and start complaining. Listen to what he said again, brothers and sisters. Romans 1 and 21 reads, Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful. Neither were they thankful. Neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. So, brothers and sisters, the first step downward is when you stop giving thanks and start complaining. It starts with ingratitude. That's what we learn in that particular verse. Let's jump down to verse 22 and 23. Romans 1 and 22 reads, Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. So, there's a lot going on here, brothers and sisters. In verse 21, we see that according to the text, knowledge of God is not the same as glorifying him as God. Why? Because it says that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. So to know him is not enough. 
Okay, to know him is not the same as glorifying him, right? So that's the first thing we learn. But when we jump to verse 22, we see that Paul is describing the downward spiral falling further away from God. Listen to this, okay? So it starts with a lack of gratitude, right? And then it goes to verse 22 where it says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. So people choose to ignore the Most High's revelation and come up with their own versions of truth, brothers and sisters as if they know better than God. And guess what, brothers and sisters? I, sometimes I'm shocked and flabbergasted at the lengths, at the, some of the explanations of what people will go through just to be able to avoid obedience of the Bible. Okay, they'll, they'll come up with some, you know, some crazy, crazy things just to avoid obedience. Look at verse 23, brothers and sisters. Romans 1 and 23 reads, and change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness, through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Verse 25 reads, Who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the creature, more than the creator who is blessed forever amen brothers and sisters when we look at verse 24 there is a connection between losing a proper view of god in verse 23 and sexual immorality in 24 let's look at this again okay verse 23 reads and they changed the glory of the uncorruptible god into the image made like to corruptible man into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Now look at this, brothers and sisters. In verse 23, they have now changed God's glory. Look what comes subsequent in verse 24. Verse 24 reads, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts. See? So according to the text, the Most High does not violate man's will. He allows free reign when it comes to our wills, brothers and sisters. You see that? It says he gave them up to uncleanliness. <laughs> see? Let's go to Jeremiah 7 and 24, brothers and sisters. Follow us, please. We're in Jeremiah 7, chapter, the 24th verse, and it reads, But they hearkened not, nor inclined their ear, but walked in the counsels and in the imagination of their evil heart, and went backwards and not forward. Brothers and sisters, in this text, negligence is analogous with retrograde movement. Listen to this again, okay? Jeremiah 7 and 24 reads, But they hearkened not, nor inclined their ear, but walked in the counsels and in the imagine of their evil heart, and went backward and not forward, and went backward and not forward, and went backward and not forward. Brothers and sisters, our delinquency leads to a state of regression rather than progression. That's what we saw here. As the text magnifies our, our own ineptitude as it applies to our decision making. He said we didn't, not only do we not listen, we're not inclined. Okay? 
See, we not only do we not listen, we're not even trained to hear it. So there's a penalty for backpedaling away from God's instruction. Let's take a look at this again, brothers and sisters. We're at Jeremiah, the seventh chapter, the 24th verse, and it reads, But they hearkened not, nor inclined their ear, but walked in the counsels and in the imaginations of their heart, their evil heart, and went backward and not forward. So here we're reading the consequences of disobedience. Disobedience is like quicksand, brothers and sisters. The, the more you struggle, the quicker you'll sink. It tells you that our people moved backwards instead of forward. See, so we're actually moving backwards. And this is what happens, brothers and sisters. We waste time. We should be much further than we are, but because of our disobedience, because of our stiff-neckedness, because of our obstinacy, because we're still trying to work in the spring season, what should have been done in the winter season. We're still trying to work in the winter season. What should have been done in the summer spring. In the, the summer season. So brothers and sisters. There's a season for all things. And we have to make sure we're in the proper season. A lot of us have missed that season. And we're still trying to plant seeds in the wrong season. Brothers and sisters. Follow us to Proverbs. 14 and 14 because why we showed you that according to Romans 1 backsliding began with what backsliding began with what brothers and sisters it began with a lack of gratitude Proverbs 14 and 14 reads the backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways and a good man shall be satisfied from himself Brothers and sisters, the good man is here put in contrast with the backslider. Listen to this. Verse 14 reads, the backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. And, and a good man shall be satisfied from himself. Satisfied, brothers and sisters, means contentment. And guess what? Contentment is the science of thankfulness. Listen to verse 15, brothers and sisters. Verse 15 reads, The simple believeth every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his goings. Brothers and sisters, let's read that from the top. Because according to what we're reading here, it is folly to be credulous. Okay? If it sounds good, and if it's something they want to be true... They'll believe it. It says the simple believeth every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his going. So we have a tendency to believe what we agree with. See, so guess what, brothers and sisters, the, the thoughtless yielding to this tendency will prove to be destructive. OK, because why most believe impulsively for what they concur with. Why? Because they're incentivized to do so. Being played like a violin, brothers and sisters. You see that? So now we're just we're just being real here. Because when you're on this path, brothers and sisters, this is a path in which you're on your own. So as you continue to develop, there should be an examination every couple months to just see where you are, brothers and sisters. And there's certain ways that you can pull yourself out. With the assistance of the Most High. When you feel yourself going down that path. 
brothers and sisters. It starts here. Let's go to Luke 23 and 39. This is where it begins, brothers and sisters. We're going to read verse 39 through 43. Luke 23 and 39 reads, And one of the male factors, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. Now, brothers and sisters, I need you to examine the dialogue that took place between Christ and the two condemned criminals on the cross, okay? Verse 39 reads, And one of the male factors, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. Verse 40 reads, But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Doeth not thou fear God, seeing that thou art in the same condemnation? Verse 41 reads, And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he saith unto Christ, Lord, remember me when thou cometh into thy kingdom. Verse 43 reads, And Christ saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Brothers and sisters, the two thieves represent two different spiritual conditions. Okay? One thief refused to take responsibility for his actions, while the other acknowledged his spiritual condition. See? So we can learn from the penitent thief on the cross, brothers and sisters. Why? Because he acknowledged his spiritual condition and was permitted access. Why? <laughs> Paradise is for truthful people. So the first thing you have to do is acknowledge your spiritual condition. See that? And that's why we're here today. He acknowledged his spiritual condition. Look at verse 41 where it reads, And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. See? So he said, listen, we, we should be here. Okay? <laughs> Us being here is warranted, okay? This isn't unmerited, okay? This wasn't just arbitrary, <laughs> okay? So this was, this was something you brought upon yourself, or that we brought upon ourselves, says this thief, brothers and sisters. See, and this is all that the Most High ever wanted from us was repentance, acknowledgement. He gave Adam a chance to acknowledge it when he said, Adam, where are thou? And Adam goes into his a long soliloquy. He does the same with Cain. Cain, why are you angry? Gives him a chance. See, this is what the this is how the Most High operates, brothers and sisters. This is how. So it's it's crystal clear that what what happened in this text. You had one brother who blamed the Most High. He was a victim. He was a victim. He was a victim. And then you had one brother who said, listen, we are deserving of this judgment. And Christ said, you really believe that it's all your fault? You really believe that it's your sin? You really believe you deserve hellfire? If you really believe that, you come with me into paradise today. You come with me into paradise today. Accountability, acknowledgement, brothers and sisters. Follow us to Jeremiah, the second chapter, the 13th through the 15th verse. 
We're at Jeremiah 2 and 13, and it reads, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Verse 14 reads, Is Israel a servant? Is he a home-born slave? Why is he spoiled? Brothers and sisters, the first evil is desertion of the Most High. The second evil is attempting to find a substitute for the Most High. Now, guess what? These two evils go together. Why? Because the one naturally leads to the other. Listen to this again, brothers and sisters. Why? Because the text emphasizes how laborious and weary our life has actually become. Verse 13 reads, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me the fountain of living waters, and have hewn them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. So, brothers and sisters, we're doing quadruple the labor only to receive a quarter of the results. He's telling you that, listen, if you're trying to, imagine you're trying to drink water, brothers and sisters, right? But the cup that you have has a hole in it. So every time you fill up your cup to drink, you're racing against, you know, the water draining out. So essentially he's telling you that, guess what? You forsook a fountain of living water to get a, a broken vase that can hold no water. And then look at verse 14. He says, is Israel a servant? Is he a home-born slave? Why is he spoiled? Brothers and sisters, the author tells us that they who mistake the object of their happiness reduce themselves to slaves. He said, you committed two evils, Israel. You forsook the fountain of living water. And not only did you do that, you tried to replace him with something else. So he's showing you that what, brothers and sisters? Verse 14 teaches us that Israel was not in his original condition miserable. How do we know? Listen to verse 14 again. Is Israel a servant? Is he a home-born slave? Why is he spoiled? So, brothers and sisters, what is this showing us? My people work harder for greatly inferior, inferior supply. He said, are you a servant? Are you a home-born slave? That means you've made yourself a slave. See that? Look at verse 15. Verse 15 reads, The young lions roared upon him and yelled, and they made his land waste. His cities are burned without inhabitant. So, brothers and sisters, what we see here in verse 13 and 14 is, Leaving the Most High has postured us for infinite labor. What we're reading is self-inflicted slavery. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to read that again and then we're going to move on. Jeremiah 2 and 13 reads, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewn out themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Is Israel a servant? Is he a home-born slave? Why is he spoiled? You see that, brothers and sisters? 
So leaving the Most High has postured us for infinite labor. Because when you examine verse 13 and 14, he tells you that, guess what? I am the, the fountain of living waters, but you chose to do what? Instead of drinking directly out of the fountain, you're trying to fill up a cup with a hole. <laughs> See? But he's telling you, our life has become laborious. It's just emphasizing how, how weary our life has become, brothers and sisters. Leaving the Most High has postured us for self-inflicted slavery. Follow us to Proverbs, brothers and sisters, 8 and 33. We're going to read Proverbs 8 and 33 through 36. Proverbs 8 and 33 reads, Hear instruction and be wise, and refuse it not. Verse 34 reads, Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the post of my doors. Verse 35 reads, For whoso findeth me findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, there is, there is as much wisdom in listening as there is in speaking. Listen to verse 33 again. It reads, Hear instruction and be wise and refuse it not. So look at that, brothers and sisters. There is as much wisdom in listening as there is in speaking. And look at verse 34, because wisdom is here represented as in her temple. Verse 34 reads, blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the post of my doors. So brothers and sisters, Hearing signifies a submissive disposition, okay? It says, blessed is the man that heareth me. See? Watching daily at my gates, waiting at the post of my door. So, brothers and sisters, our job is to be watching daily for those teachable moments from the Most High. See, because we should be looking for opportunities to learn. Because here it was, she's telling you, blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the post of my doors. Remember being in school? You make it to class before the teacher, you're already waiting there when the teacher gets there. <laughs> eager to get in, eager to learn. See? Look at verse 35, brothers and sisters. It reads, For whoso findeth me, findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, when it says, He that finds me finds life, that implies that we need to search for it, does it not? To find something, that implies search, right? So three times in these short passages, the Most High commands us to listen to Him. Brothers and sisters, the Most High commands us to watch, wait, and search for Him. These are all action words, brothers and sisters. These are all action words, okay? Brothers and sisters, follow us to Genesis, the 12th chapter, the 1st through the 4th verse, okay? Let's go to Abraham. Okay, let's examine Abraham here. We're at Genesis 12 and 1. Now remember, the title of today's lesson, brothers and sisters, is what? What lies beneath? The topic? The idolatry of the heart, brothers and sisters. 
we'll learn about idolatry of the heart from our father Abraham. We're at Genesis, the 12th chapter, the first through the fourth verse, and it reads, Now the Lord had saith unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred. Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred. Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. Verse 3 reads, And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curse thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Verse 4 reads, So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was seventy and five years old when he departed from Haran. Now, brothers and sisters, if you carelessly skim through the Bible, you will miss what we read in verse 1. In verse 1, brothers and sisters, Abraham, or Abraham, brothers and sisters, or Abram at during this time, was told to leave his relatives and his father's house. Okay? Look at this. Does he do that? How do we know? Let's read verse 4. Verse 4 reads, So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. So Lot actually went with him, brothers and sisters. On top of that, go to Genesis 11 and 31, because we're seeing something here. Did Abraham did Abraham give partial obedience or did he give 100 percent obedience? We're at Genesis 11 and 31 and it reads, and Terah took Abraham, his son. So clearly, brothers and sisters, Terah is Abraham's father. Let's read it again. 11 and 31 reads, And Terah took Abraham his son, and Lot the son of Haram, his son's son, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abraham's wife, or Abram's wife. And they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees, to go into the land of Canaan. And there came unto Haran, and dealt there. And the days of Terah were two hundred and five years. And Terah died in Haran. Brothers and sisters, didn't Moses, excuse me, didn't the Most High tell Abraham to get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house? Didn't he tell Abraham that? So why is Abraham operating? He left the country but stayed with his father. So let's look at this, brothers and sisters, because partial obedience to God is disobedience. And this was disobedience here. We're at Genesis 11 and 31, and it reads, And Terah took Abraham his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abraham, or Abram's wife. And they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan, and they came into Haran and dealt there. And the days of Terah were two hundred and five years, and Terah died in Haran. Brothers and sisters, what you'll find is you have minimum believers and maximum believers. You have some that will do the minimal, the bare minimal to get by. Okay, and then you have some who will do the maximum. And those who always give maximum effort, those are your leaders. That will be your future leaders. And then you have some who do the bare minimal just to get by. 
to think no one notices. So let me just let me just get in the door. Let me do anything to get in the door. As if God doesn't notice. As if, you know, no one notices your negligence. Right? So what do we want to show you? We wanted to show you that Abraham did not obey the Most High completely, okay? He dealt with partial obedience because in Genesis 12, in 1, the first thing he said was, Abraham, get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, and from thy father's house. So Abraham chose to do what? Choose his father over God. And therefore, it tells you that the Most High had to kill off Terah. See, anything you put before God, you will lose. Let me read that again. Genesis 11.31 reads, and Terah took Abraham, his son, and, the, and Lot, the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abraham, or Abram's wife. And they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. And they came unto Haran and dealt there. Listen to this. Verse 32 reads, And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So here it was, the Most High made Moses, excuse me, made Abraham choose, okay? He told you to separate from your family. Abraham did half of that. He left his country, but didn't separate from his family. Look at Genesis 13, because all the people that he chose to ignore God's instruction with, these people became a problem later on. Look at Genesis 13 and 7. Genesis 13 and 7 reads, And there was a strife between the herdsmen of Abraham, or Abram's cattle, and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwell in that land. And Abraham, or Abram, say unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdsmen and thy herdsmen, for we are brethren. So, brothers and sisters, remember... The Most High commanded him to leave his family behind. And now you're seeing they're having friction. The herdsmen are having friction. Why? The Most High told you to leave your family behind, Abraham. Lot was Abraham or Abram's nephew, the son of his deceased brother Haran. Okay? So now look at this. This is strife. Now when you read Genesis 13, remember Abraham or Abram gives Lot opportunity to select what land he wants to live on. And what did he do? He saw he saw Sodom and Gomorrah was a nice land. And he did what? He chose that land. And that led to everything that transpired afterwards. But we're just showing you that what? The Most High is now separating people from Abraham. He had to kill his father off. And then issue came forth between the herdsmen of Abram. And his nephew, Lot. And therefore, they had to separate. See? So what was the Most High showing here? Go to Matthew 10 and 37. Because it was something here that he was trying to show Abraham. Matthew 10 and 37 reads, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Brothers and sisters, this text highlights relational idolatry, okay? According to the author, it is possible to love other people more than God. Listen to this again. 
Matthew 10 and 37 reads, He that loveth a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy than me. And let me add something else. He that loveth wife or husband more than me is not worthy of me. So, brothers and sisters, anytime you make someone responsible for your happiness, you have erected in an idol. So he's telling you that he doesn't care if it's your father, your mother, your son, your daughter. You are unworthy. Only God deserves to be on the throne of our heart. Only the Most High deserves to be on the throne of our life. Our love for anyone or anything that interferes with obeying the Most High properly, it is an idol. Anything that interferes, anything that operates as an obstacle to my obedience fully to the Most High, my commitment fully to the Most High, that is an idol. Whether that's a son, that's a daughter, that's a woman, that's a husband, it's an idol, brothers and sisters. And this is what Abraham was learning here. This is why he told him to leave his family. Now, you have to remember, during these times, family was everything. Okay? So he was told to leave his father, to leave his nephew. Did he do so? No, he did not. No, he did not. And he suffered the repercussions of that, right? Still, we're showing you that what? Family was very big to Abraham. Okay? That was his idol. Abraham's idol was family. The Most High told him to leave his father. Did he do so? No. The father told him to leave his nephew. Did he do so? No. So what? Abraham dealt with this, brothers and sisters. He struggled with some forms of idolatry amongst family. Okay? Let's go to the book of Jasher, brothers and sisters. Let's go to the book of Jasher. Jasher is written of in the Bible, brothers and sisters. Matter of fact, let us prove that. Let's go to Jeremiah. Let's go to Jeremiah. Excuse me, not Jeremiah, Joshua, brothers and sisters. We're going to show you that in the book of the Bible, uh, the book of Jasher is written of. Okay, it's inferred in the Bible. Okay, let's go to Joshua 10 and 13, and then we'll go to 2 Samuel 1 and 18, just to prove to you that it's written of in the book, in the Bible. Joshua 10 and 13 reads, And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed, until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is not this written in the book of Jasher? Is not this written in the book of Jasher? Is not this written in the book of Jasher? Jasher is J-A-S-H-E-R. Follow us to 2 Samuel 1 and 18. 2 Samuel 1 and 18 reads, Also he bade them to teach the children of Judah the use of the bow. Behold, it is written in the book of Jasher. It is written in the book of Jasher. So according to the Bible, brothers and sisters, the Bible sends us, it does what? The Bible sends us to the book of Jasher. Okay, the Bible refers us to the book of Jasher. We only go into books that the Bible refers us to. The book of Jasher is that. I would encourage you to get the book of Jasher. It's a more detailed Genesis. Genesis, the account of Genesis in the Bible is an overview. Jasher is more in depth on the things that transpired 
in Genesis. Brothers and sisters, let's deal with the idolatry of Abraham. We're at Jasher chapter 22, verse 47 through 54. We're at Jasher 22 and 47, and it reads, And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence cometh thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and walking up and down in it. And the Lord saith unto Satan, What is the word to me concerning all the children of the earth? And Satan answered the Lord and said, I have seen all the children of the earth who serve thee and remember thee when they require anything from thee. Let me read that again. Verse 48, brothers and sisters, and it reads, And the Lord saith unto Satan, What is thy word to me concerning all the children of the earth? Listen, brothers and sisters. And Satan answered the Lord and said, I have seen all the children of the earth who serve thee and remember thee when they require anything from thee. When they require anything from thee. So Satan is telling you, I see the children of men. The only time they serve you is when they need something from you. So here he goes, accuser of the brethren. He said, the only time they will serve you is when they need something. Jump to verse 49, brothers and sisters. Jasher 22 and 49 reads, And when thou giveth them the thing which they require from thee, they sit at their ease and forsake thee. They remember thee no more. Mm. Mm. Brothers and sisters, listen to Satan. He said, the moment that the children of men get what they ask for, then they begin to forsake the Most High. They become lackadaisical against the Most High because they've already gotten what they want. See? So look at, look at verse 50, brothers and sisters. Verse 50 reads, Hast thou seen Abraham, the son of Terah, who at first had no children, and he served thee and erected altars to thee wherever he came, and he brought up offerings upon them, and he proclaimed thy name continually to all the children of the earth. And now that his son Isaac is born to him, he has forsaken thee. And now that his son Isaac is born to him, he has forsaken thee. And now that his son Isaac is born unto him, he has forsaken thee. He has made a great feast for all the inhabitants of the land. And the Lord he has forgotten. For amidst all this he has done, he brought thee no offering. Neither burnt offering, nor peace offering, neither ox, lamb, or goat of all that he killed on the day that his son was weaned. Even from the time of his son's birth till now, being thirty-seven years, he built no altar before thee, nor brought any offering to thee. For he saw that thou did give what he requested before thee, and he forsook thee. Look at this, brothers and sisters. What is, what is Satan showing you here? Abraham began to idolize Isaac, brothers and sisters, so much so that the Most High asked Abraham to sacrifice him. Okay? Isaac had actually become the most important thing in Abraham's life. Remember, Abraham had struggled for years, for years to have a son. And according to these passages, we have to assume his relationship became an idol. Why? Because the Most High tells him right after that... <laughs> that you have to sacrifice him because Satan is clear. He said, listen, before he had that son, when he was still, when the promise was un unfulfilled, 
he was sacrificing, he was giving burnt offerings, he was building altars. But ever since 37 years ago, ever since Isaac has been living, he hasn't sacrificed or offered or built an altar to you one time. So it was clear, brothers and sisters, that now Abraham had a new idol in his life. The Most High had to kill off his father. The Most High had to have Lot, you know, the situation that transpired with Lot. And now here it was his son. See this, brothers and sisters? So this is what Abraham's struggle was. His struggle, his idolatry, was family. So imagine being unable to have a son for X amount of years, you know, over up to 60, 70 years, you know, and then you finally have a son. They began to, to worship him, brothers and sisters. They began to reverence him and hold him in high regard in a place in which only Christ has that, that cachet to sit in that seat, brothers and sisters. Okay. We're going to go to Mark 10 and 17. Um, follow us here, brothers and sisters. We're at Mark 10 and 17. We'll read through 22. Those will be our last passages for the day. We're at Mark 10 and 17, and it reads, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit in eternal life? And Christ saith unto him, Why calleth thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Verse 19 reads, Thou knoweth the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and saith unto him, Master, all of these I have followed from my youth. All of these have I observed from my youth. Verse 21 reads, Then Christ beholding him, loved him, and saith unto him, One thing that thou lacketh, one thing that thou lacketh, one thing that thou lacketh, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hath, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. Verse 22 reads, and he was sad at that saying and went away very and went away grieved for he had great possessions. Brothers and sisters, the principle here is that anything you put before God, he's going to require that we give it up. You see that? So once Satan had brought once it was clear, brothers and sisters, even Satan started to boast uh, in Abraham's uh his improper love for his son, his his improper commitment to his son, right? Because of that, he was required to relinquish that son. He was re required to sacrifice his son. So what we learn, brothers and sisters, is anything that you hold in high regard or before God, he's going to require that you give it up, right? Now, in the case of Abraham, it was simply a test, brothers and sisters, right? Would you drop it, Right? See that, brothers and sisters? So it was clear that what? The test for this particular brother was, is there any scripture that says you must sell everything you have and give to the poor? No. But this particular brother, his issue was about riches. It was about wealth. So the Most High had a, a, 
a command specific to him and what his struggle was. Because why? The Bible tells you a man can only be tempted and enticed by his own lust. You see? So here it was. Christ understood that there's something he's following the law, but there's still something that he's putting before God. So that tells you that you can follow the Ten Commandments, brothers and sisters, for the most part, 90 percent of it, 95 percent of it, and still be falling to the internal part. So the external part, look at this. I'm going to read it again, brothers and sisters. I'm at Mark 10 and let's read. Let's read 19. Mark 10 and 19 reads, Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not, do not defraud, honor thy father and mother. Brothers and sisters, all of these are external laws, right? Don't commit adultery, don't kill a person, don't steal, don't lie on a person, right? Honor your mother and father. See, these are all externals. See that? These are all externals. Look at what Christ gave him, though. Look at the commandment Christ gave in verse 21. Verse 21 reads, Then Christ beholding him, loved him, and saith unto him, One thing thou lacketh, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. So look at that, brothers and sisters. He was telling that, that in order for you to fully take up the cross, you have to be willing to sacrifice everything. And it was clear he was unwilling to do that. So it's not possible for you to pick up the cross while you're trying to carry your baggage too. <laughs> See? So anything you put before God, he's going to require that you give it up. And this is what we saw with this young man. Yes, he followed, you know, most of the, the external parts of the law, the old covenant. But as it pertains to the internal part, he walked away grieved. Why? Because he had great, great possession. That did what? That showed the idolatry in the man's heart. See? Today's title. Today's lesson is about idolatry of the heart, brothers and sisters. The title of today's lesson what lies beneath? Because why? Here it is. This brother in Mark 10 is showing you that there's an underlying issue that can't be found in the Ten Commandments. If the brother's following the Ten Commandments. See? So Christ got straight to the point. He knew. See? There's, there's, when you look at Mark 10 and 17, and you show the correlation between the other times in history, brothers and sisters, where, let's read it one more time. Let's read Mark 10 and 17. 